Okay, just a couple things before we get started here. Uh, um, I just, just want to second what, what John said about the um, memorial for Ruth and her family. was so appreciative. And uh, that after, after the uh, memorial service was over, one of her, it was either one of her daughters or one of her um, daughters-in-law, when they went downstairs and just saw all the food that people from our church had volunteered to provide, um, she just looked at me and she said, wow, this church is amazing. And, uh, and I'm, I'm telling you, that nothing can make a pastor more happier than to hear that kind of compliment about his people. But praise God. Uh, during the, you know, this pandemic thing and stuff, I've been on the phone and on Facebook with, with people who haven't been able to come to our church. And uh, you know, sometimes we probably take things for granted because, believe me, we got a lot of people that just are really bummed that while they're sick, like Alan and Cora right now, and um, while they're sick and down, they have to miss church. And uh, and so, uh, just I'm I'm real grateful for what we have. I don't I don't want to take uh, take it for granted whatsoever. We got a good body of believers. As the days get tougher and tougher, we need to get closer and closer as a family. Because um, you know, like I say, everything that can be taken from us is going to be taken from us someday, and then all that's left is Jesus. But until that point, we got each other. And we could share Jesus with one another. Uh, now, I have a, a question, you know, it's like uh, I get asked questions as the pastor of the church, and I have to tell people I, I don't know nothing, I just work here. And, um, but the Compassion International letter from your sponsored child, and then we write back to them. The big Vince used to do that, but he doesn't do it anymore, and I forgot who, who gets these. So... If nobody claims it, I'm going to be looking for a, a, a new volunteer. We'll have a new opportunity for them. So, uh, but, it, but nobody here does this that you know of? Okay. All right. Well, we'll have to write the letter to the children in, in third world countries that we help support. And uh, we'll see if we can get a volunteer or two uh, for that. The other thing is um, uh, the Vitatos, Don and Kathy are real active in um, peaceful protest and prayer for unborn babies. And, um, and they work with the local pro-life uh, ministry. And uh, I just got word uh, yesterday, something that probably the Vitatos know much more about than I do, that um, they actually led one of the uh, workers at Planned Parenthood to the Lord, and the worker is going to is going to quit, and they're going to give them, provide pro-lifers, are going to provide her with a job, find a job for her, and she's getting baptized. So, um, so let me tell you, yeah. so, so God, God is at work, and, um, and we've got to, got to praise God uh, for that. If you want to get involved in, the, in pro-life ministry, um, talk to the Vitatos. They're our go-to people on that as well as the, uh, the, the child stuff for, the, uh, for Christmas and also. I forgot one prayer request. That was sure. my bad. Um, Josh asked for prayer for the families who were suffering from this new mandate. And yeah. And work in the nation. Yeah. And all the effects of these new... Yeah. And it, and some, some people have asked, does TBF have a, a policy on the vaccine and stuff like that? Look, if you're going to deny Jesus as God and Savior... We're going to divide, you know, you, you know, so we, we hold to the essentials and stuff, but we just believe that each individual person, we don't worship the state, each individual person should, should decide. So we've got people in the church who, who trust the technology and are vaccinated. We got people um, like myself who, who don't trust the technology and don't want to get vaccinated, but there's an awful lot of people where the... The government, through businesses, are trying to force them to get vaccinated. And I think in a free country, that shouldn't be done. So, um, so yeah, we, we have, um, we could have up to half the people in this church who could lose their jobs um, if the religious exemptions aren't accepted. So, um, so please, uh, please keep that in, in your prayer, in your prayers and, 
and all, and um, a lot of a lot of people going through difficult time. We could end up. I, I think we're going to grow through the midst of this as a church, but we could end up with a big charge of a lot of unemployed people and so so paying the rent's going to be kind of tough but uh but we'll just be obedient to god and let god let god be god and um and just recognize we're just passing through and we've been so comfortable here in america well uh we're not going to be comfortable much longer uh, unless the lord intervenes so now um today's message uh, the, the handout, the notes there says work relationships because that's how you can apply this passage. Uh, but in reality, what I'm, I'm going to be spending a bulk of my time talking about slavery and the Bible because we're having a lot of people are lying to us, telling us that the Bible is pro-slavery. And we're going to see that that's not the case. And uh, But we can apply this passage in Ephesians to our work relationships how a worker should obey their boss and do what they're told and how the bosses should treat uh, their workers as human beings and treat them with dignity. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9. Will's coming out with the handouts if anybody needs them. Just raise your hand. And, um, and then if you could bow your heads and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, you're a good God. And you blessed us in so many ways. You blessed us with the salvation that only comes through your Son, the Lord Jesus, who died for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. But you also bless us with the Holy Spirit. You indwell us with the Holy Spirit to empower us to be all that you called us to be. And But here in America, we get so many blessings. Our poor live like the kings of other nations. And uh, we've proven, Lord, that we can love you and worship you when we're prosperous, when we know where our next meal is coming from, when we have a warm place to sleep. But just help us, Lord, to love you even if things get real bad in the near future. As Christians get called all kinds of names and get uh, canceled in our cancel culture, and uh, I just pray, Lord, that we would just cling to your son, the Lord Jesus, and uh, that we would be grateful and recognize that with Jesus, through Jesus, we have eternal life if we trusted in him for salvation, and that we would not allow the, the trials of life to drag us down. And Lord, as we study this passage today, I pray that it would be your word that would be proclaimed. The people that are here, Lord, did not come here to, he to hear the faulty wisdom of man. If they want that, they could just turn on their television sets or their computers. They came here to hear the word of God, to hear your truth. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man. You would cancel me, the, uh, the fallible man, so that through your power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I could proclaim your infallible truth. I pray you open hearts and minds, including my own, to apply these truths to our lives so that, and to understand these truths so that we can be pleasing in your sight on that day when your son, the Lord Jesus, returns and we see him face to face when he returns to make things right on the planet Earth. We just love you, Lord. Just help us to love you more. Be with us in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, so we're going through our series in Ephesians. And uh, with every passage in Scripture, this is called hermeneutics, the science of biblical interpretation. With every passage of Scripture, there is one true interpretation. Okay? One true meaning. Okay, if uh, if you disagree with me on the meaning of a passage, either one of us is right or we're both wrong. But we can't both be right. There's only one meaning. It means God's word means what it says. So there's only one correct meaning, only one correct interpretation. And this passage is talking about bond servants. The word in, in the Greek, the singular for it is doulos. It means slave. 
So this passage is talking about the slave-master relationship, okay? Uh, now, we'll be looking at this and be thinking, but wait a minute, slavery's illegal here in America. Well, just as each passage has one interpretation, it can have many applications, okay? So there's many different ways you can apply it, and I think for most of us, the best way to apply the passage that we're going to talk about today is the work relationship. So if you work for a boss, your boss is the boss. Do what your boss tells you unless they, you know, your submission to God is on a higher level than that. And if your boss isn't ordering you to disobey God, you submit to your boss, you obey your boss. If you're a boss... Don't treat your people, don't treat your workers like trash, okay? So we can all apply this passage, but the real meaning of the passage, it's dealing with ancient slavery. Now, there's a lot of people out there that want political power, a lot of people that have political power, and they talk about Christianity as if Christianity invented slavery, okay? When they act like Christianity invented slavery and America because it was influenced by Christianity, America is evil and all this other stuff. By the way, what America did with slavery, that was horrible. That is disgusting. There's no excuse for it, okay? Um, it's like abortion today. How many Americans are opposed to killing babies before they're born, yet 200 years from now, people are probably going to say, well, how could Phil Fernandez be a Christian because abortion was legal in America? As if I could just wave a magic wand and just stop it. Okay? And, um, but slavery has been a reality in the world since the fall of mankind. That people exercise power over other people. Okay? and force them to do their work. This America is, a, is an ugly part of American history, and America looks very, very, very bad when you look at just America. Okay? But let's, let's get all the facts. Let's put all the facts on the table. If you compare America and its history of slavery with the rest of the countries in the world, all of a sudden, we don't look so bad. In fact, I would argue that sometimes we look very, very good. And we're going to talk about that today. Okay? We got our independence in 1776 with a document, the Declaration of Independence. And Thomas Jefferson, who owned slaves, you know, he wrote, all men are created equal. Okay? Equal in the eyes of God. And that God instituted human government to protect our God-given inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he knew that was not consistent with slavery. So he put a clause in the Declaration of Independence abolishing the slave trade. The southern states refused to sign. They had to remove it. Okay? And anybody here, by the way, anybody here who thinks they would have done better than Thomas Jefferson, who owned slaves and all, I don't know what the guy was supposed to do. Because... Virginia law, all through his life, he died on the 50-year anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, as did John Adams. Uh, John Ad the Adams family fought slavery, every ounce of strength they had. But Thomas Jefferson was friends with Wilberforce out of Great Britain, and he was fighting slavery. Yet, why did he keep his slaves? Virginia law, he could only free his slaves... Uh, if he wasn't in debt. Thomas Jefferson was in debt his entire life. So in order for him to free his slaves, he would have to give them to whoever he owned money, owed money to. So the best he could do, if he thought he would treat them better than the people he owed money to, the best he could do is try to treat them with some semblance um, of, uh, of dignity. He, Thomas Jefferson described slavery as holding a wolf by the cheeks. You don't want to hold on, but you can't let go. Okay? So just keep in mind, people are going to judge us on the abortion issue. If you don't put anything in print, 
that you opposed abortion and all. There's going to be people hundreds of years from now saying, there's no way that guy could have been a Christian. He didn't speak out against abortion. They were killing unborn babies, and he was okay with it. Let me tell you, a lot of Americans opposed uh, slavery. Even in the South, there were people that were opposed to it. Okay? And uh, so we're just going to try to set the record straight on that. Now, here what's being talked about, what's spoken of, is ancient slavery, which reaches full its point during the Greek and Roman empires. Of course, Paul's writing while the Romans were ruling. Just 400 years before Christ, slaves made up one-third of all the people in Athens. You know, the, the, Greek, the Greek view. People talk about, oh, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. Oh, those guys were so noble-minded. No, they believe there's two kinds of people in the world, the Greeks and the barbarians. And so the Greeks should conquer the whole world, which is what Alexander the Great did, and, um, and then make everybody else their slaves to do their work for them so the Greeks could sit around and, and, uh, and talk philosophy and, and politics uh, uh, all, all day long. So this kind of thinking, you know, it's been here uh, since the fall in the garden. In ancient Rome, the slaves did most of the work. In the Roman Empire, even poor people owned, often owned slaves. Okay? Now, where do they get these slaves from? Usually they, were, they would buy prisoners of war. Okay? Even with, uh, with the more modern slavery, um, where uh, African people groups were sold into slavery, it was often one African tribe defeating another African tribe in, in battle. They took prisoners of war. And then usually when... when Pirates came from Muslim countries. They would often buy these prisoners of war. Now, sometimes if they didn't have prisoners of war, the guys from Muslim countries, from Arab countries, would say, well, wait a minute, they don't have guns. If they don't have prisoners of war, if they don't have guns, we'll just take them as our slaves. So this ugly, horrible, horrible things that were going on. But prisoners of war, sometimes there are criminals. Uh, most of the time in ancient times, there are people who couldn't pay their debts. If somebody couldn't pay their debt, then the guy you owe the money to owns you. And hopefully you can pay your debt to him and be freed before you die, because if not, guess what? His children become your slaves too. Okay? So, um, and, and with ancient slavery, just like modern slavery, the field slaves worked long hours and had harsh punishment whereas the household slaves were treated a lot better. Still, anybody being enslaved is, uh, is not a picnic. Uh, but in ancient times, the slaves couldn't marry, couldn't testify in court, couldn't own property. Their only hope was to be formally and officially released uh, by their master. Sometimes you could redeem somebody off a slave market by paying the price for the slave and then setting them free. Jesus re redeemed us of the slave market of sin. He paid the price for our sin and, um, and set us free. So we're going to want to talk about uh, the biblical view um, of, uh, of ancient slavery. By the way, uh, in fact, the biblical view of, sla of slavery as a whole. But ancient slavery was eventually phased out as Christianity began to spread. It just became normal for when masters came to Christ and their slaves came to Christ, they were brothers in Christ, they were equal in Christ, and slavery just started to phase out and um, gradually phase out in Western civilization. However, in Islamic countries, once, uh, once Muslims took jihad to the seas, we call them the pirates, uh, they were one of the primary forces behind the return of slavery. And they would kidnap human beings and, and, um, and sell them into slavery. Uh, today, communism enslaves, uh, I wrote millions, but it's probably closer to billions. Uh, communism enslaves many people. Human trafficking is going on. I don't know what your view of the border is, but I'm telling you, if we don't stop illegal immigration, what do you think the human trafficking is taking place in America? We have tens of thousands of slaves living in America today. I praise God that slavery is illegal, but just because it's illegal doesn't mean it's not happening. I grew up in East Orange, New Jersey, and just a few blocks where I lived, 
uh, they found uh, two slaves there. This was like about 10 or 15 years ago. Two African slaves bought by Africa, bought from Africa uh, to a black family in East Orange, New Jersey, and, um, and they just kept these two girls as their slaves. And as they grew older, they made them get, get jobs. And when all their friends would go out, and this, they would say weird things like, I'm not allowed to spend my money, and this and that. And they did a big investigation, and they found out they were slaves. East Orange, New Jersey. Every once in a while, I know during the Trump administration, numerous times uh, we would catch human smugglers and it was sometimes and one, one truck would free as many as 20, 30, 40 people who were being human trafficked. They're trafficked either for labor purposes or for sexual purposes. Okay? And um, uh, by the way, in that situation, East Orange, New Jersey, the judge threw the books at the, the parents and sentenced them for pretty much for the rest of their life, gave them a sentence, they're going to die in prison. But they had a 31-year-old son and they sentenced him, I think, to two years and a whole lot of counseling. And I think what they figured was, man, any guy who had parents like that has got to be messed up. And we're going to try to help him become a normal human being again. But, um, but uh, slavery is, is alive and well on the planet Earth. I praise God that our country um, has out, outlawed it. Um, slave labor in China. You get people working for like a, a, it's either a dollar a day or a dollar a week and sweatshops working 18-hour days making Nike shoes and uh, uh, supporting a lot of the NBA, a big portion of the NBA money. So you get all these NBA stars talking about, about freedom and acting like they're real righteous and all this other stuff. It's like, you know, and then bad-mouthing Christians, it's like, it's like, dude, just do your job, all right? Just do your job. If you're a good athlete, be a good athlete and all. But if you're gonna if you're gonna complain every time somebody says something something nasty about the Chinese government, by the way, I love the Chinese people. That's why I hate the Chinese communist government. I don't like when governments enslave people. God did not institute human government to take over his job. That's the deification of the state. That's turning the state into God. And our, our government's doing that now. God instituted human government to serve and protect our God-given rights. Okay? So, um, so we're going to look at the, uh, the biblical view of, um, of slavery. And, um, and the word doulos literally means bondage. It means being a slave. Uh, but the Bible is mainly concerned with... Uh, first, let, let's read the passage first. But the Bible is mainly concerned with spiritual slavery. So we're going to talk about that first. But let's read the passage. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Bond servants, in other words, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Because they're, they're, the slave master is a master of a person according to the flesh. According to the Spirit, there's only one master, and that's the triune God. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, don't threaten them, knowing that your master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with them. What he's saying is, in God's eyes, slave or master doesn't matter. God sees you all as human beings created in his image, fallen, in need of his salvation, and he brings you all to account. God doesn't show favorites. So when we look at this passage, we could apply it to our own lives and say, you know what? I need to be obedient to my boss. Now, obviously, the big boss is the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? But 
if my boss is asking me to do stuff I don't feel like doing, but it's still within God's will, I got to get with the program. Be obedient to your bosses uh, with fear and trembling, not of your boss, but of the Lord. If that's your job, do do your job. Be be sincere, but you're serving Christ. And don't just do it when the boss is watching you, okay? Do the will of God from the heart, as to the Lord, not to men, okay? So we serve God when we do what God calls us to do. And, um, and that whatever good you do, even if your earthly boss doesn't see it, God sees it, okay? And um, so whether we're slave or free, uh, God knows, the good that we do, and he also knows the bad that we, we do. And then uh, Paul says that masters should not threaten, should not be threatening to their slaves, but should treat them well because God doesn't show any favorites. So uh, we could apply that. If you're a boss, treat your workers good. Encourage them. Encourage them. Um, if you're a worker, obey your boss. Do your job. Okay, even when the boss isn't looking, do your job because ultimately we work for the Lord. But uh, I want us to look at uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And uh, verses 34 uh, through 36, Jesus, an Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Okay. The number one slavery, God did not write the Bible as a political activist manual. Now, we can take principles from God's word, apply it, and oppose abortion, and abolish slavery, okay? And try to build a free country, try to maintain freedom. But primarily... God wrote the 66 books of the Bible to free us from spiritual slavery. Romans 6, 17 and 18. Paul tells us that we were once slave to sin. But then, when we accepted the gospel, we're no longer slaves to sin, now we're slaves to righteousness. So keep, keep in mind, you know, here God writes... 66 books, we call it the Bible. And God says, I want to save people from their sin and from the punishment of sin. I want to provide salvation for them, and I want to teach them how to live godly lives. And people will ignore that whole theme and act like, well, I disagree with this in the Bible, I disagree with that in the Bible. Okay? Uh, in, in other words... Just as God hates divorce, but tolerated it, okay, he hates slavery, but tolerated it, okay? There's a big difference between promoting something and opposing something. But first off, the biblical view uh, of slavery, uh, the, the emphasis is that bondage to sin, being a slave to sin, that Jesus sets us free from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin when we trust in Jesus for salvation. Now, the world's view of freedom is the freedom to sin. God's view of freedom is the freedom from sin. That's very important. When people march on the streets because they want the freedom to have sex with members of the same sex, okay? When, when people protest, they want to have the right to abort their babies, okay? They view freedom as the freedom to do the wrong thing, the freedom to do things that are destructive to individuals, 
destructive to societies, destructive, destructive to um, uh, society in general, uh, but also things that are disobedience to God. And, um, and so we've got to take on God's view of freedom. We've got to say, look, God created us equal, we're fallen, but we're redeemable. Um, we've got to view freedom as the freedom to be all that God called us to be. And so when government gets involved, um, and it says, thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that, um, hopefully it makes those decisions based on the biblical worldview where we are free to be all that God's called us to be. When a government goes tyrannical is when a government makes it harder for you to be all that God called you to be. Corey Ten Boom, the Nazis had taken over Holland and the Nazis were ordering uh, the non-Jews to turn over all the Jewish people. And Corey Ten Boom and her family said no. And they hid innocent Jewish people in their house. Eventually they got caught. Uh, they not only took the Jewish people captive, but they took Corey Ten Boom, her sister, her dad, her family, took them captive. Her sister died in a concentration camp. Uh, her dad died from complications he had in the camp. He was released and died outside of the camp. Corey Ten Boom was actually accidentally released on a clerical error. And she lived on into her 80s. And, and uh, uh, Rahab the harlot, she had two innocent Jewish spies she was hiding. She didn't submit to the governing authorities, the Canaanite authorities. She lied to them, said they went that way. And then when the authorities went that way, she let them down from her roof and sent them in the opposite direction. And because of that, God had the Jews rescue her and her family. And... Uh, and so, uh, whatever the case, um, we've got to understand that the biblical emphasis on uh, slavery, most of the time it's talking about spiritual slavery to sin and the Lord Jesus Christ to set us free. You show me a Christian who's in prison for preaching the gospel and is obedient to the Lord that guy is way more free than most people living outside that prison. So true freedom is the freedom to be all that God calls you to be, whether you're locked up or not. Now, physical slavery, contrary to popular belief, the Bible never encourages it. The Bible allows it and tolerates it like divorce because of man's hardness of heart. Because we're fall, fallen, people do bad stuff to other people, okay? And so because of the sin nature, our fallenness, there will always be slavery. Even with the abolition of slavery in America and in Europe, uh, you still have communism, socialistic regimes. Uh, you still have um, Muslims enslaving people. You have dictatorships who enslave everybody equally except those in power. And slavery's always wrong. Uh, look, look at Genesis 9-6. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. This is after the fall of mankind, and it's also after the flood. So God created man in his image, but now this is, this is uh, centuries later, and after the flood, God tells Noah and his family, you guys can start eating meat now. Before that, I guess they just ate vegetation. Okay? Now you can eat meat. But then God says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. And so God, only God has the power of, over death and life. But here God delegates that authority to human government. He institutes human government. Now, originally the human government was just Noah and his sons. And that family got bigger. And so it was family government. Eventually, you got different tribes of people. So you had tribal government. 
Eventually, the tribes became nations, and then you get national government. Now, God didn't like the Tower of Babel, one world government. We're seeing that in our day, the United Nations and the, the whole push towards a new world order. Um, um, I'm telling you, you won't, the, the name of the game in politics today is globalism. And if you oppose global, globalism, they will call you every name they called the previous president, even if you turn out to be a lot nicer than he is. Okay? Um, but believe me, global government equals global tyranny. But whatever the case, here we see that man retains enough of the image of God even after the fall. Contains, uh, retains enough of the image of God even after the fall so that we could say all men are created equal, created in God's image, were equal in the eyes of God. Now, when I stand next to a tall guy, it's pretty obvious that all men are created equal doesn't mean same height, same weight, same abilities, and stuff like that. Uh, but what it means is we're equal in the eyes of God, and we should be given equal opportunity. Now, what's going on now is what they call equity. They want equal outcome. So if John works hard and makes more money than, than me... Um, that's wrong. We've got to have equal outcome. Let's say I want to be a lazy bum. John wants to work hard. He should have to split his money with me. Okay? There's lots of reasons why there are different outcomes. All we should be concerned about is that equal opportunity for everybody, and that's exactly what slavery goes against. Um, slavery is actually condemned in Scripture. Okay? We we're going to look at that, and... Um, and then God's priority, we have to remember though, God's priority in his word is not political or like socially moral. God's priority in his word is salvific. It deals with salvation and the spiritual realm. Now that does lead to the moral and it does lead to the political. Okay, But don't try to twist the Bible into a science textbook. When the Bible speaks on science, it speaks correctly. God created the universe. He, he knows science. He didn't, he didn't need a course by Charlie Darwin to set him straight. Okay? He created Charlie Darwin. When God speaks on science or history or political views or moral views, it always speaks correctly. But the main reason why God wrote the 66 books of the Bible is because we're sinners who deserve the flames of hell. And the only way we can be saved is through the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. Okay? So keep, keep that in mind. Is slavery an important issue to God? Yes. But that spiritual slavery is way more important to God where we're going to spend eternity than mere uh, physical slavery. At the same time, it's important to God. Um, you know, is having a good family, is that, is that important? Yes, God wants you to have a good family. But if all I preached on from the pulpit is having a good family, you know, you, you can proclaim truth. If you don't prioritize the truth the way God does, you could actually preach a false gospel. Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could have a good family. A good godly family. Now, having a good godly family can be one of the implications of it. But Jesus died on the cross to save hell-bound sinners like Phil Fernandez. Okay? So, and you know, we got, we got a lot of political movements coming out today, and they are not prioritizing things the way God does. That's enough for us to say, I can't join your faulty wisdom of man program. But now we've gone to the point of Isaiah 5.20. What are those who call evil good and good evil? So now you try to do the right thing. And, and, you, and you get trampled on by men. Okay? Um, now, even though God's priority in his word is not political, still, implications of the gospel... 
uh, will change cultures, okay? And we've seen so much of that in America, it's tempting to turn the Bible into a, a political book. Now, I just want to, I want to give you some key facts about slavery that are often not spoken about in public. You could do the research. Uh, it's out there. Uh, they're not teaching kids this in college. They're not teaching them in high schools. They're trying to teach that America was racist from the start. Well, here's point number one. These are some of my handwritten notes. If you want, I could try to make some copies of these handwritten notes for you and bring them next week. But number one, Western civilization did not invent slavery. She inherited it. Okay? So the idea that Western civilization invented slavery, that's a lie. It had been around uh, for millennia, okay? Western civilization did not invent slavery. She inherited it. It's been there since the fall. See, it's kind of like, let's say some neighbors move in down the block, and the house is a mess. There's mold all over the place. There's, uh, you know, broken windows. It's just a mess, Okay? And, and, uh, and so then you, uh, your neighbors move in and buy that house, and they got it cheap, but they don't have a lot of money. And, uh, but little by little, they're saving their money, and they're cleaning up one moldy wall at a time, fixing one broken window at a time, okay? And so you can look at them two years later, and the house still isn't perfect. And you can say, you know, what a bunch of slobs. Okay, And what you're doing is you're blaming them for the problem they inherited and they're in the process of fixing it. Let's be reasonable with America. America's not perfect. We've never been perfect. We had our issues and when it came to slavery, we thought one way or another when you look at it, yeah, there was a battle for states' rights versus, versus federal government and things of that sort. But in the end, the Republican Party was, was founded to abolish slavery, to fight slavery, okay? And right now we're getting there. Everything is being twisted around and stories are being changed and things of that sort. Look, America and Western civilization did not invent slavery. Uh, Western civilization inherited it. Number two, when Western civilization came of age and applied Christianity to the issue, it ended slavery. You know, it's not... It is not a coincidence that most of the abolitionists and most of the abolitionist movements were made up of Christians. And, and yes, there were some Christians, uh, some Christian preachers, who uh, twisted verses out of context to try to justify slavery. And that is just plain sinful. And, um, um, but when Western civilization came of age and applied Christianity to the issue... It ended slavery. Uh, the Bible, as I said, is not a political activist manual. Its focus is salvation and discipleship of converts. Okay? So the Bible is not a political activist manual. It focuses on salvation and discipleship. Number four, still, even though that wasn't the main emphasis of the Bible, still the Bible led to the abolishing of slavery. How did the Bible lead to the abolishing of slavery? Okay, first, it called for a better treatment of slaves. You could read like chapters like Exodus 21 in the Old Testament, where you had to treat your slaves well. Okay, and a slave was allowed to, to buy their freedom, or after six years they would be released. Uh, if, if you enslave the guy and he's married... Uh, when he gets free, his wife gets free with him. That was the first time in the history of mankind anybody thought about treating slaves with dignity. And so the first thing the Bible did, it called for a better treatment of slaves. Then, secondly, it called for the, the, the condemnation of the slave trade. Uh, look at 1 Timothy 1.10. 1 Timothy 1.10 
Paul is talking about, he's giving a, a list of horrible people, murderers, manslayers, unholy, profane. And then in verse 10 he says, For fornicators, those are sexually immoral people, 1 Timothy 1.10, for fornicators, for sodomites, that's homosexuals, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, uh, and he's just basically, he's just basically telling, telling them, stay away from all these horrible, sinful things. But the word for kidnappers in the Greek, where you kidnap people and you take ownership of them, you treat them like your property, that was the ancient word for the ancient slave trade. And so right off the bat, the Bible called for better treatment of slaves and condemned the slave trade when it for, forbid uh, kidnapping. Finally, uh, it called for the Bible, called for the master and the slave to be brothers in Christ and equals. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I'm telling you, if you take the Bible out of its proper context... You can make God sound like an ogre. When God's writing the entire Bible to show us how to be saved and to show us how to grow in the Lord, but you could take you could take passages out of context and and make God look out look as if he is an ogre. Um, and uh, so Galatians three twenty six to twenty nine. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. As far as salvation is concerned, Jew or Gentile, you're a child of God. Gentiles no longer had to get circumcised and convert to Judaism to worship the God of Israel. Now they could remain a Gentile and be saved. There is neither in the church... There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so uh, we, uh, the Bible calls for the master and the slave to be brothers in Christ and equals. Okay, And this is why in Christian lands... Slavery has been abolished. Remember Matthew twenty-five forty. Jesus says, "Whatever you do for the least of these brethren of mine, that you did for me." How we treat people that we have power over is going to determine how God treats us. Okay, and um, and then and then let's look at Philemon verses ten. Paul's letter to Philemon, verses 10 to 18. The whole book, when you get a chance, read it. Just one, one chapter. Philemon was a slave owner. And Paul had led him to Christ. Okay? And listen to what Paul says to this slave owner, Philemon. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Uh, and Onesimus means useless. So I guess he wasn't that great of a slave either. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Paul's in prison, and he, he sees this slave, he recognizes him as a slave from Philemon's house. Now Paul had led Philemon, a slave master, to the Lord. Paul now leads Philemon to Christ. That's why he says, I have begotten whom I have begotten while in, in my chains who was once unprofitable to you, Onesimus means worthless, but is now profitable to you and to me. So he's saying now, this guy, this guy is no longer, you know, Mr. Lazy. This guy has been led to Christ. Jesus has changed him. Now, Roman law says Paul has to do what? He's got to send them back to his owner. So he's going to send them back, but he's going to send them back with a letter. I don't know about you, if I lived back then, especially if the Apostle Paul led me to Christ and somebody shows up with a letter from him, okay, you caught my attention there, okay? And uh, I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, uh, that is my own, uh, 
you, you therefore receive him, that is, my own heart. He's saying, I love this guy so much. It's like I'm giving you my heart. Whom I wish to keep with me. He's saying, I didn't want to send this guy back. He's a warrior for Christ now. I didn't want to send him back. That on your behalf, he might minister to me in my chains for the, for the gospel. He's saying, look, he's one of my right-hand men now. He was your useless slave. Now he is very useful for the kingdom of God. Verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. In other words, what Paul's saying is, look, I know. You know it and I know it, Philemon. If I order you to send this guy back to me, you'll do it in a heartbeat. Because you know about my apostolic authority. But I want you to have rewards for this in heaven. I want you to do it voluntarily. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. I mean, here's a runaway slave, and it's like, no, God used it for good. Verse 16, um, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. In other words, if you take him back, treat him as your brother in Christ. We, he's equal in Christ now with you. Don't treat him like a slave. Verse 17. If you then count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. So he's saying, now that your slave has come to Christ, receive him as a partner in, in Christ. You're now both bondservants of Christ. Verse 18. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. Okay? Then he even says in verse 19. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention uh, to you that you owe me even your own self besides. See, Paul, Paul led this guy to Christ. If I didn't lead you to Christ, you'd still be hellbound. Now I'm asking, send this guy back. Did Philemon send this guy back? There's pretty good evidence in early church history that, Paul, that uh, Philemon did send him back to Paul. Because it just happens to be, and it was a common slave name, that just happens to be a bishop in the early church named Onesimus. We got a God who could turn a slave into a bishop and a leader. You know, I had a rough two weeks, you know, with Ruth going to be with the Lord. and, and um, But even at, at, at work, I had an in incident where kind of my anger flared up again and I didn't think I had issues like that anymore and and um, and the evil one's always whispering in my ear you know, you're still the same idiot you were in Essex County, New Jersey God can't use you, you're a loser but that's not the voice of God the voice of God says to Phil Fernandez what he said to Onesimus you were once a slave, a slave to man. Now you're going to be set free, and you're going to be a slave to God, and you're going to be a powerful leader in the early church. Uh, the abolitionists in America, they use that passage, the whole book of Philemon, to argue against. See, the principles in God's word are there to abolish slavery. So even though the Bible is not a political activist manual, it led to the abolishing of slavery. It called for better treatment of slaves. It condemned the slave trade. Finally, it called for the master and slave to be brothers in Christ and equals, and so that in Christian lands, eventually, slavery was abolished. You show me any country on the planet where Christianity hasn't had an impact, slavery's still legal. Show me Islamic countries, slavery's still legal. Show me communist regimes. If you're not in the Communist Party, everybody's enslaved. Everybody else is enslaved. So slavery still exists today in Muslim countries, communist, socialist countries, in pagan tri uh, tribal countries. Human trafficking is still on the rise, whether for purposes of labor or, or sex. We're, um, rarely a week went by during the Trump administration where they didn't intercept 
some moving van filled with slaves. 34 were freed one week in, I don't know if it was South Carolina or North Carolina, and then 24 were released a, a, another week later and stuff like that. And the media, did the media report it? No. They're looking. They got their own narrative. Uh, but then we even see slave labor where the wages are so cheap in places like China that for all practical purposes people are enslaved. And we got multimillionaires in, uh, in sports like the NBA that are, I guess they're okay with it unless they're oblivious to what's going on. Thousands of slaves live in America today. Human trafficking, the illegal border crossings, this is what President Trump called the coyotes. They're the guys that illegally transport people across the culture. There are some families that will pay them thousands of dollars to transport their little children across in hopes that once the children get there, it'll be easier for the parents to be allowed into America. You tell, does, that, does that sound like a parent who loves their children? Would you turn your kids over to criminals, to terrorists, to drug cartel guys and say, yeah, just yeah, bring my kids across? Um, now, America became a nation in uh, 1776, okay? This is what people won't tell you. People act like until the Civil War, slavery was the name of the game. Um, yet, in uh, 1777, a year later, Vermont partially banned slavery. 1780, Pennsylvania... Uh, uh, came up with the act for the gradual abolition of slavery. They began to gradually abolish slavery. Just four years after the Declaration of Independence. 1783, Massachusetts, the judicial court ruled, the Supreme Court ruled, slavery unconstitutional. Okay? All slaves were immediately freed. That, I believe, was due to the influence of the Adams. Samuel Adams, John Adams, and then years later, John Quincy Adams. New Hampshire began the gradual abolition of slavery in 1784, as did Connecticut and Rhode Island. See, states had sovereignty, so we should not view the United States as a whole. Here you had individual states abolishing slavery before other countries were even thinking about it. Okay? We think, well, Great Britain... Uh, abolished slavery in 1833, long before America did. No, there were states in America that were doing it. A lot of people don't even know. Thomas Jefferson was buddies with Wilberforce and was trying to figure out how we could fight slavery here in the United States. Um, 1980, I mean, 19, 1787, the United States in Congress passed the Northwest Ordinance uh, of 1787 outlawing any new slavery in the Northwest Territories. There was a big debate about if we get new territories, which could someday become states, should they be slave states or free states? And the free states were arguing that they shouldn't be slave states. The slave states were arguing in the other direction. Um, you know, you're going you're gonna to be judged, brothers and sisters, by the way you judge others. And you think you would have done better than the founding fathers? Yeah, some of the founding fathers were probably total losers, but a whole lot of them were either fighting slavery from day one or they were stuck with slaves and didn't know what to do because of state laws or whatever it may be. Uh, let's see, in 1794, the Slave Trade Back, uh, Act banned uh, both American ships from participating in the slave trade and the export of slaves in foreign ships. Um, 1798. It's like fighting abortion. If you can't get the whole thing, you get one piece at a time. And you just keep moving. The abolitionist movement began to spread. 1798. Now you got just 22 years after the Declaration of Independence. New York had the Gra Gradual Eman Emancipation Act freeing future children of slaves and then all slaves in 1827. 1800. American citizens were banned from investing in or working for the international slave trade. 1802, the Ohio State Constitution abolished slavery. 1803, not even 30 years after the uh, signing of the uh, 
Declaration of Independence, 1803, uh, New Jersey abolished slavery. Uh, 1806, sounds hard to believe, in a message to Congress, Thomas Jefferson called for criminalizing the international slave trade, asking Congress to withdraw the citizens of the United States from all further participation in those violations of human rights. Now, granted, granted when you abolish the slave trade, you still got to deal with the slaves that are still here, okay? And that's, a, that's another problem that has to be dealt with. But 1808... Um, uh, January 1st, 1808, the slave trade was abolished as far as the United States was concerned. Michigan Territory uh, was, was founded as a free land with, not, with slavery not allowed. New York, as I mentioned before, 1827, uh, set the date uh, to free all slaves um, from their servitude. Um, 1819 was the Compromise of 1820, banning slavery north of the 36-30 line. Um, and so, uh, and it was the act to protect the commerce of the United States and punish the crime of piracy. And that was now applied to the slave trade, making it punishable by death. Indiana in 1820, the Supreme Court ordered almost, almost all their slaves to be free. Um, Then uh, there's a great movie, The Amistad, if you get a chance to watch it, very historically accurate. John Quincy Adams, after he lost the re-election, he was the president, he went back into Congress to fight against slavery. Uh, he, he hated it so much. He was a godly Christian guy, but he also defended before the Supreme Court uh, the United States versus the Amistad. It's a slave ship that got wrecked, and the slaves wanted to go free, Whereas others were saying, no, we got to return the slaves their property. We've got to return them to their owners. And, um, and the, the Supreme Court ruled that they were legally allowed as free men to fight their captors by any mean necessary, means necessary. So they were allowed to return back to their homeland in Africa. Beautiful movie. John Quincy Adams was not making friends, but the Adams didn't make friends. The Adams stood up for what they thought was right. That's why John, Thomas Jefferson wanted John Adams to write Declaration of Independence. John Adams had to remind him. He said, look, dude, we want somebody to sign this thing. Okay? He did not make a lot of political friends. 1844, John Quincy Adams, after the presidency, he's the only president that went back to, to Congress. That would be like the President of the United States becoming a mayor. You know, a big demotion. But he did it to fight slavery. And in 1844... 15 years before the uh, Civil War started, John Quincy Adams called on Congress. He called for the northern states to secede from the Union over the slavery issue. Okay? That destroyed his career. He was toast after that. Um, and then uh, uh, eventually it, it got to the, to the point... Um, where it got to the battlefield. And yes, there were those who wanted a bigger federal government and those who were standing up for states' rights. But the main issue, when everything was said and done, was um, should we have free states and slave states? Can we be united or are we going to be divided? And, um, and so whatever you think about America, America has not been perfect. But how many countries would go to war with their own brethren over this issue. And we go, oh yeah, we got these, all these high and mighty, righteous people that they would have done things differently. Yeah, you think they would have done things differently? You wait till they take complete power. Okay? You wait till they take complete power and you see how much freedom they give you and me. And, um, and so what can we learn from this passage? We can learn, you know... Anytime we see injustice, stand against it. Use principles from God's word to oppose it. Right now, our, our big sin right now is abortion. Talk to the Vitatos if you want to engage in, in that battle. So we need to stand up against injustice. And if you work for a boss, praise God you're not a slave, although our government is trying to enslave us. It's getting bad. 
The deification of the state and the death of man are just around the corner. Persecution is just around the corner. But uh, praise God, we're not slaves right now. And so when you work for your boss, try to obey your boss so long as you don't have to disobey God in the process. If you're a boss, treat your workers with dignity because they were created in God's image and though fallen, my king, the Lord Jesus, died for them. The master's slaves, that God doesn't draw that distinction. We're all sinners. We all deserve the flames of hell. But we all can be saved if we would just trust in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation. We ask John to come up and lead us in celebration of the Lord's Supper.